0: You can support the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. by purchasing a cell phone case from Crossway, crossweh.com slash LPR. You'll find cell phone cases for Issues Etc., Lutheran Public Radio, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, and Luther's Seal with the Reformation Solas, crossweh.com slash LPR. A percentage of your purchase will support Issues Etc., cross wehcom slash LPR oh
1: him mighty fortress is our god many will be singing it this coming sunday as we head toward the first sunday in lent we want to see lent as preparation for spiritual warfare in our lives the entire year long but we can't talk about spiritual warfare without going first to the one who has as the promise of the old testament says defeated Satan and all of his minions, and we find him there toe-to-toe with Satan in his temptation this coming Sunday. Welcome back to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, headed toward Mark chapter 1, verse 9-15, through 15, the baptism, temptation, and ministry of Jesus. Pastor Sean Denzer joins us. He's Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, welcome back thanks todd great to be here we are headed into a new season the lenten season just give us a brief introduction about what lies ahead for us well we've come out of epiphany we've learned a
2: lot about who christ is uh, that he is god's son now incarnate in the human flesh we've seen him demonstrating his power and authority we've seen him fulfilling the scriptures and calling all people to listen to him so now as we go into the 40 days of lent we're going to see Jesus Christ marching closer and closer to what He is going to do for our salvation. If our concern when we talk about the second article of the Creed, who is Jesus, is always a twofold question. What is his person, that he is true God and true man, but also what is his work? That means that Lent is especially in this year going to be focused on what is his work. So the whole church here follows the life of Christ, and so a way you could say it's all about Jesus, but it's always, as with everything Jesus does and says, for the benefit of his Christians. So we shouldn't write ourselves out of this as if it has no connection to our daily life, to our Christian struggles and difficulties, to our faith and to our love. Everything that Jesus is doing will have a profound impact on that. That's why we rehearse this every single year from the scriptures, whether we do it from the same ones or from different ones, as in the three-year lectionary. Today, we're going to start with the temptation of Christ, which is always the traditional passage on the first Sunday in Lent, to set the whole tone for Lent. It sets it in kind of three key parts. One, that we would have spiritual warfare be at the front of our minds. It's not that we don't fight against the devil and his works and his ways at other times of the year, but it's necessary because of our human weakness to remind ourselves of this periodically in concrete times. And that's why the church has always had this season to focus on spiritual warfare. It also lasts for 40 days, and that is connected especially to the fasting of Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days, which we hear about today. And as he relies on the Word of God in his temptation, so we also are taught to rely on our Word of God as well as we look at these 40 days of spiritual discipline. But in year B, we are going to focus especially on the Lord's saving work at the cross, So we're going to be looking in the Gospels at Mark, which this is the year for Mark, also at some of the passages from John's Gospel that most point us to Jesus, his death on the cross, the significance of his cross, and his going to be a sacrifice for our salvation. This is the year that Lent really is, in the three-year lectionary, 40 days focused on Christ's passion but in a very theological way that we'll look at what the purpose of this is long before we get to the actual whipping, beating, nailing of Good Friday and Holy Week. In our Old Testament reading, we'll have a bit of a survey from Abraham to the Israelites, the Hebrews coming out of Egypt, all the way to Judah, the Jews in the time of the exile. But this will also be tuned to the Gospel readings about the cross of Christ. Our epistles are going to be key salvation texts also connected to the cross and to the gospel readings for the day. So unlike maybe Epiphany, where we kind of wandered through one of Paul's letters to the Corinthians in Lent, our epistles are going to line up much more naturally with the gospel in the Old Testament as well. And in addition to this, again, we think about the life of Jesus, that's clear. We're going to look at his setting his face toward Jerusalem, his coming down from the mountain of transfiguration and driving both in his teaching and his works toward his sacrificial death to accomplish his mission of the salvation of all mankind. But for us as Christians, as we're viewing this profitably, as we're considering fasting perhaps, spiritual disciplines that enable us to be devoted all the more to the Word of God and to grow in our faith and in its practice in love for the neighbor, we also have the background of the church's catechetical time in mind. So remember, the origin of the days leading up to Easter are especially the time that Christians were brought in through baptism through instruction and we'll hear that in the background of everything we have all to say that we want this to be fruitful for us as whether we're brand new Christians or Christians who are coming again to another Lent and I think you'll find that all the narratives and the texts focus on Christ's work are going to be very fruitful in watching his endurance and learning from his example to endure in our stations as well. What connecting themes would you highlight? Well, today we're in the wilderness with Jesus, and we're also going to see the other passages focused on testing and temptation. Sometimes that temptation and testing don't come across as the same word in our understanding, but they are in Greek and in Hebrew and in Latin. These are the same word, and so we're going to see how both in James' epistle as well as in Abraham's great time of testing when the Lord asked him to sacrifice his son, Isaac, on the mountain, that this is going to be cast in the background of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness by the devil to be instructive, particularly to us as Christians, in bearing with trials. We've seen lots about the trials that come from enemies of the faith, and certainly we'll bear those as well. But what about the trials that are much more internal? That is our own flesh wrestling against us. That is the devil tempting us and calling on our weak flesh to give in to his temptations. And maybe worst of all, or most difficult, what about when it seems like God is the one who's who's laying these trials? As I suppose it's inevitable to come to that conclusion that if he works all in all, then why is he permitting us or even sending to us these trials? and? challenges and temptations. So we're going to learn about that and we're going to learn about his desire to have us withstand it for which Christ is our example and also the power by which we are able to withstand the devil. So we're going to see the word of God as the thing that is strong even when the heart of man is weak and infected with sin. Thus by repairing to his word, by clinging to Christ who has conquered the devil in our place, this is how we're going to also have the strength to endure and remain steadfast along with him in all temptations and trials.
1: The intro is from Psalm 91.
2: When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Invocavit. you can hear it there, when he calls to me or he has called to me and I answered him. Traditional intro for this Sunday. And we're invited to hear Psalm 91 in the voice of Jesus Christ. He is the one who called on the Lord and the Lord answered him. The father was with his son in trouble. He rescued him. He brought him safely through this time of temptation in the wilderness by the devil. But there's also in Psalm 91, a great switching around of who's talking to whom, and it might be a little challenging, but you have to do your best to follow it. And what is marvelous is we see both the father and the son and somebody else to whom they are speaking, urging them to remain, to not lose heart, actually to be comforted in the face of affliction and to make the Lord the place of their trust. And that's someone is us, or at least that's what the church invites us to see, is that we are aided by this same Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 91 is the natural pairing, uh, especially because of the other gospels, which give us all the details of the devil's temptation of Jesus, including how the devil tries to quote this very Psalm against Jesus. Well, I mean, the angels will come and rescue you, Jesus, so throw yourself off the top of the temple, and it'll be fine. And, of course, Jesus says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. But rather, we should trust his word, as it rightly is said, which is he will keep us in all of his ways and guard us in the way he has. But uh, it's important to see that, especially this first verse after the Antiphon, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. The you here is us, the Most High, who is my refuge. Now the my refuge is Jesus speaking about his father. Here's the promise, no evil will befall you, he will protect you, the angels will guard you, and in fact, you'll trample down the serpent underfoot. All of this to say is, Jesus is the one who has conquered, he's the one who has endured, and we see that today in the wilderness. He did it by trusting his father by remaining steadfast in the faith and in the promises of his Father. And he invites us to trust in the very same promises, to have him as our champion and his Father as our Father. And this is the way that a Christian enjoys salvation and can be confident in the midst of all temptation and trial.
1: How does the collect read for this first Sunday in Lent?
2: O Lord God, you led your ancient people through the wilderness and brought them to the promised land. Guide the people of your church, that following our Savior, we may walk through the wilderness of this world toward the glory of the world to come, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, this is not the historic colic for this Sunday, and it's interesting that it's been chosen. It amplifies something else that is not really brought up much in our readings. And that is another 40 days or 40 years in the Bible, the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Now, that was a time where the aim was the promised land. And this colic then invites us to see Lent as kind of a time of testing leading up to our entrance into the promised land. And if you're familiar with kind of the catechetical, process of the early church leading to baptisms at the Easter Vigil, then this collect makes very good sense. We're invited, kind of like we saw last week with the Transfiguration, to see the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ that is to come, and therefore we're encouraged in the difficult time of watching Him suffer in the meantime. So here also we're invited to look at this time of penitence as a discipline, that ends, not in sadness, but that ends in an entrance into his promised land. So the wilderness theme is probably most uh, useful for Luke's Gospel, but we will find ourselves here, at least on the first Sunday, in the wilderness. And to a certain degree, we'll see a little bit of the travels of Israel and the Hebrews in our Old Testament readings. What the original collect brought out was uh, that the Lord would defend us against our adversaries. And that certainly is what we see in our gospel reading today and in our psalm that we just sang in the intro, that the Lord is a refuge for us and we, like Christ Jesus, ought to trust in him. This is the means by which we can endure.
1: Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. We'll be in Genesis 22 after the break.
0: You can support the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. by purchasing a cell phone case from Crossway, crossweh.com LPR. You'll find cell phone cases for Issues Etc., Lutheran Public Radio, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, and Luther's Seal with the Reformation Solas, crossweh.com LPR. A percentage of your purchase will support Issues Etc., Cross weh.com slash LPR.
3: This month marks the 50th anniversary of the walkout of faculty and staff from the Concordia Seminary St. Louis campus in 1974. If you've ever wondered about Seminex or the walkout and what they were all about, now's your chance to learn more. Pick up the February issue of The Lutheran Witness. You can purchase that at CPH. Visit cph.org slash witness or learn more at our website, witness.lsms.org. Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. All theology is Christology. You're listening to Issues, Etc.
1: At Memoria Press, the Simply Classical curriculum is specifically designed for students with significant learning challenges. This complete program includes everything you need for a school, self contained classroom, tutoring, or homeschool to make a classical Christian education accessible for any child. To learn more, visit us at simplyclassical.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child.
3: Confessional Lutherans are invited to rent a four-bedroom, three-bathroom Table Rock lakefront home in the Ozarks. Table Rock Lake is a premier lake in the heart of the Ozarks for boating, water sports, and fishing. This log cabin-style rental sleeps 12, and is 30 minutes from Branson and 20 minutes from Silver Dollar City. Learn more by calling Swanson Estates, 713-855-2681. Be sure to mention Issues Etc., 713-855-2681.
1: We Gentile believers, Along with Jewish believers in Jesus, the Messiah, now belong to the God of ancient Israel, the Holy One of Israel, the God of Isaiah. Jesus of Nazareth, his son in the flesh, and Israel's Messiah, has brought us to this God of Moses and the prophets. That's from the introduction to the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February, the Concordia Commentary on Isaiah, chapters 13 through 27, This is our book of the month for February, and you can order it from Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040 or browse before you buy at our website, issuesetc.org, the Concordia commentary on Isaiah chapters 13 through 27. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. He's director of worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Sean, we come to the Old Testament reading, Genesis 22, 1 through 18, The Sacrifice of Isaac.
2: He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering in place of his son. and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. This story is famous and is very significant. The parallels to Christ himself are manifold certainly that there is a ram provided as a substitute. This is who Jesus is for us. He's our ram. Even the way Isaac is presented is as one who bears the wood on his back, just like Jesus bore the cross. He's the only begotten son, if you will, of Abraham, at least by Sarah. And the hand is stayed, so he does not slaughter his son. But of course, Christ Jesus will not have that. His Father will send him all the way to complete his mission and die for the sins of the world, to be the ram, the sacrifice, the one that the Lord provides for our salvation. There's maybe a slight connection to the gospel reading. As we get to it, we'll see that the very small amount of the temptation that we're told about in Mark's gospel has us seeing that he's in the wilderness with the wild animals and the angels are ministering to him. Here the angel comes and ministers to Abraham by stopping his hand so he doesn't go through with killing Isaac. And interesting because this is exactly what our Psalm in the intro it has already said that the Lord will send his angels concerning you to keep you in all your ways. What is it that the angels are doing? They're ministering to the one who is obeying the word of the Lord, the one who is believing the promises of God and not doubting them, not trying to escape them in any way, but in fact trusting in God's promises. The author to the Hebrews tells us that Abraham believed that the Lord could even raise Isaac from the dead if necessary. That's the reason why Abraham was about to go through with this, even though he had this promise that through Isaac he was going to have his offspring. And yet then the Lord also told him to slay Isaac so that there could be no offspring if he were dead. This is what caused Abraham to believe that The Lord, in fact, was capable of raising him from the dead and making this work out. That's why he was about to continue. The angels ministered to such people. Thus, when we see Jesus tempted in the desert, doing the will of his Father, not giving in to his creaturely comforts that he, as true man, desperately wanted, we see him perfectly enduring all testing and following the Lord's will. So we have an example of that already in Abraham with Isaac. But we also, as I mentioned before, have a foreshadowing of what Christ is, that he is the true sacrifice, that by that offspring of Abraham throughout the many years, by Christ Jesus' sacrifice that would actually be accomplished, all nations will be blessed. That's why all, in fact, will be saved. And there's a wonderful play on words here, not only that the Lord will provide, or I suppose maybe the best neutral way to put it is the Lord will see to it, is that Abraham, in fact, saw the very character of God and saw Jesus Christ on this mountain. Of course, in the uh, historic lecture, that's where this Old Testament is paired with the moment when Jesus says, I tell you the truth before Abraham was, I am, and he saw my day and was glad, pointing to the fact that it was the Lord himself who swore and spoke from heaven. By myself, I declare that I will bless you and multiply you, that your offspring will be the source of the blessing of all nations on the earth, that Abraham, in fact, trusted not only in the Lord of the Old Testament, as we might say, But in the very same Lord, who now has become incarnate in Christ Jesus, who would be the true sacrifice for our salvation. The psalm is
1: Psalm 25.
2: To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. So far to verse 10, we don't hear all of Psalm 25, but Psalm 25 is the most frequently used psalm in all of the various propers across the lectionaries in the course of the year, including in just the old lectionary. It's always appointed for next Sunday, the second Sunday in Lent. It's also for the Advent one, we've heard this before. And it is a Psalm that focuses on faith and everything that is concomitant with faith. So we hear repentance, right? Remember not my sins, We hear the trust in what the object of faith is, the steadfast love of the Lord, his goodness, which we see accomplished in Christ and his pouring out of his compassion chiefly by his death. We see the instruction of sinners, that they are taught his ways, that they seek to live in accordance with what the Lord's truth actually is, and that they delight to keep his covenant and his testimonies and to receive corrections. That in fact, the character of a Christian is humility and at the same time, great confidence, not in ourselves, but in the Lord. And that in all sorts of difficulties, in struggles, we wait for God. This is an expression of faith and trust that this relationship is between God and his Christians is one where he is trustworthy where he is faithful. And because of that, because of the sake of his goodness, we are willing to wait and endure and put up with very much, maybe not quietly because we're uttering our laments and our our cries of faith, asking the Lord to help us all the time, but certainly that we will continue and press on. All of this then not only draws us out of what we've already heard from Abraham in the Old Testament, but leads us well into what it means to have a Lenten discipline. It's centered for us in faith, that we trust his word, that we know the forgiveness of sins and the steadfast love of God, that this leads us to humble repentance, that it leads us to desire to do his will and to learn his statutes and his instructions, and that in every difficulty rather than give up, we would endure and we would trust in him and wait for his salvation, which ultimately is the summary of our entire life in Christ Jesus, that we may not see the end of our prayers, the success of Christ manifest in our lives in this life, but we are ones who hope in the resurrection. Thus, we know that then all will be revealed to us. We will have the victory with him forever. We'll be raised with him.
1: Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We're looking forward to the first Sunday in Lent according to the three-year lectionary coming on the epistle in James chapter one next. How did God address the Gentile nations through the prophet Isaiah? What is God's message to His own people regarding both judgment and consolation, and how does Isaiah's divine message apply to us today? Find out in the new Concordia Commentary on Isaiah, chapters 13 through 27. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February, the Concordia Commentary on
3: Isaiah 13 through 27. Join Lutherans for Life at the For Such a Time as This Lutheran Adoption Conference, April 10th and 11th in Houston, Texas. Enjoy the testimony and talents of Dove Award-winning musician and adoptee Mark Schultz. Discover expert information and exciting opportunities, and experience the fellowship and celebration the 2024 Lutheran Adoption Conference, April 10th and 11th in Houston. Find out more and register at lutheransforlife.org slash conferences. Old theology, new technology, you're listening to Issues Etc.
0: You may be one of those pastors who need to be refreshed and refueled because of your parish ministry. Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Charles Gieschen. Concordia Theological Seminary has a wonderful program not only in continuing education during the summer but in a advanced study program called the Doctor of Ministry. And it's a very practical program because it focuses on congregational ministry. It incorporates biblical theology with the ministry of the congregation. It's also very accessible for pastors and it's also affordable. You can major in pastoral care and leadership teaching and preaching or mission and culture, and we pray that pastors will take advantage of this program.
1: Learn more about the Doctorate of Ministry program at ctsfw.edu or by calling 1-800-481-2155, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. On this Monday, February the 12th, we're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. That's Sean Denzer. Sean, the epistle reading is James chapter 1, beginning at verse
3: 12.
1: Blessed is the man
2: who remains steadfast under trial. That's a pretty good summary of the whole day, actually. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So that initial statement, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial or who endures testing would be a fine synonym for that. This is absolutely on display for us in Christ Jesus, who endures the temptations and trials not only of the devil here today, but also all of the afflictions he has leading up through his passion to continue all the way to die faithfully as the Lord asked him not to give up at any point but in fact to accomplish our salvation and to remain steadfast. The crown of life is, of course, rewarded to the Lord. He is raised on the third day on Easter. He is the one who loves God fully and whom we might be imitators as well. In fact, because of his love, we are righteous, we are forgiven. We actually have salvation from this predicament inherited from Adam where our sinful flesh desires, already from the beginning, what is contrary to God's will. Remember the context of James. There's a reason that James is sometimes considered spurious among Lutherans, and that's that he speaks about righteousness slightly differently than we're familiar from St. Paul. One, he's almost always talking about righteousness not before God but righteousness before our neighbors. That's the context in which he says famously that we're justified by works, not by faith alone. He means that it's not about telling somebody, well, I believe, so you just have to take me at my word. It's that faith is active and visible in love. Therefore, it is love that demonstrates that faith is present and that faith is trusting Christ. Think of the psalm we just prayed. We want to be instructed as sinners uh, in the way that we ought to go. We ought to live in accordance with the Lord's steadfast love. So all of that is at work here as well. And I think we'll see it also when we talk about this temptation. What James says here is very helpful. We see it at play many other places in the scriptures as well, but it's always kind of come up as a dogmatic question when Jesus is tempted, because that is an astonishing phrase. How is it that the Son of God, who is sinless in every way, who in no way desires evil, can truly be tempted? That is always a question, I think, that people wrestle with in their minds. And this passage is fairly helpful for that. First of all, we have what is taught to us clearly in the sixth petition. What does it mean when we say, lead us not into temptation? Well, God tempts no one. James says that quite clearly. In other words, uh, when he says, let no one say I'm being tempted by God, we shouldn't blame God for our difficulties. Now, it may be that God is sending a test. Consider the the, the difficult test that we just saw with Abraham. Uh, But why is it difficult? It's difficult on account of our weakness and our sins. It's not difficult on account of his will. We see beautifully how the Lord always could have resolved even if Abraham had slain his son. Of course, he is capable of raising us from the dead, but also he sent his angel to intervene. How is it not always true at every moment for any trial and difficulty that we have? And yet our flesh often cannot see beyond the moment we're in and our sins prevent us from ultimately believing that the Lord is good and that he will see this through for our good. So, this is what James is saying as well. Each person is tempted, he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And Lutherans have talked about this often as original sin, concupiscence, this desire for sin that is inborn in us. It's inherited from Adam and Eve, but it's also native to us. And that that root of sin, that original sin, is not necessarily any given action, but is actually a desire, an inclination, a lust is the word, and not speaking sexually, but speaking very generally, that we actually don't trust God, that we think we should handle it ourselves, and that that leads us to desire and chase after things that are not according to his will. Now, I think this is the passage that probably gives rise to one of the big disagreements between the Lutherans and the Roman Catholics traditionally on the question of original sin. They would describe it as kind of the tinder of sin. So, original sin or concupiscence is the start of it, but it itself is not sin. The fact that you desire to do wicked things and that that is within you, appealed to and enticed by the devil, That's not sin unless you kind of go through with it. But practically, I think we've all realized this, that parsing the difference between when I had the idea, when I made the determination to do it, and maybe when I finally set my hand to the sin, that's not always so easy to parse out. Lutherans are bold, uh, both because of this passage, but also because of what St. Paul writes as well, to speak that before God, especially, there's not a whole lot of distinction. Original sin truly is sin. The desire to commit sin truly is sin. And notice, that's what James says quite clearly, God does not have. God himself cannot be tempted with evil in the sense that he is lured and enticed by his own desire for what is wicked. God doesn't have such a desire. Yet we know that Jesus truly was tempted in every way like us except without sin. This means that Jesus did not desire the wicked that the devil was presenting to him. And that's maybe hard for us to understand, but again, because that is already native to us, that we often desire, that's why the devil already has a foothold in each of us. So James speaks about it conceiving, giving birth to sin in this growth imagery of a child that uh, first it's conceived in this desire, then pretty soon it's born as a child, and then eventually the end of the thing is death, I suppose, like the end of all mortal men. We would say that conception as well, from our conception likewise, this innate desire for what is wicked is truly sin. This is what the Lord does not have. That's why even though his temptation is true, he does not give in to it in any way. The last part, though, is quite fruitful because it's not just explaining to us the predicament we're in and leaving us there. It actually gives us the solution and the hope by which we may do the very first thing he said remain steadfast under trial and receive the Lord's blessings and crown of life. That is by recognizing our Heavenly Father and recognizing that he is the one that brings us forth as a living child. He's the one who, and it's hard not to see holy baptism here, he's the one who gives birth to us as not just a son of this world, not just a son of the devil, but as a son of God, one who is beloved by him, one who grows up after him, and one who trusts in him. And quite important that he says, we are brought forth how? by the word of truth. We don't get to hear that in detail today in today's gospel of Jesus being tempted, but we know from the other gospels that it is always by appealing to the word. It is written that Jesus triumphs over the devil. So it will be for us. And so uh, as we consider our Lenten discipline, it's not simply the activities of self-mortification. It's not simply that we would take on a lot of extra things to do or withhold certain pleasures from our life, but it's also especially that we would be devoted to something else in its place, namely the Word of God. The simplest way we do that, I suppose, is adding an extra service in most of our schedules that we would also meet on Wednesdays or Thursdays or other days during the week, that we would hear the Word of God more than usual, and let that lead us. Let that bring us forth continually and daily as the new man in Christ Jesus.
1: We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Ascended. If you want to learn more about the church's liturgy, hymnody, pericopes, LCMS Worship invites you to attend the 2024 Institute on Liturgy, Preaching, and Church Music. This year's institute is July 9th through the 12th, at Concordia University Nebraska. For more information, visit lcms.org/worship, lcms.org/worship. We'll get to the gradual verse and that gospel reading in Mark chapter 1 next.
0: This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we continue on in James with Let Him Ask God, Temptation's Path, The Implanted Word, No Partiality, and The Royal Law. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider.
2: Come join LCMS Worship for the Institute on Liturgy, Preaching, and Church Music, July 9th through the 12th, 2024, at Concordia University, Nebraska. We'll gather under the theme, The Songs of Deliverance, and focus on the Psalms together. Everything you need to know is at lcms.org slash worship institute, and you can look for registration information in the early part of 2024. That's lcms.org slash worship institute, God's mission right where
3: you are. The cross is our theology. You're listening to Issues Etc.
1: A number of people have asked about Ad Kusum's process to order our faux stained glass window clings. It's easy. Email us with your window's dimensions, the images you require, and the style you like, and we will quote to design, print, and ship your window clings to you. We recommend having them professionally installed. If you wish to purchase a sample, we have a gorgeous small Luther Rose cling available on the website. Pop on over to adcrucem.com, that's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com.
0: Are you planning your vacation in the Orlando area? Are you thinking about retiring in Central Florida? Are you looking for a faithful Lutheran church near the theme parks? Then Zion Lutheran Church and School is the place for you. We're in Winter Garden, Florida, about 20 minutes from all the attractions. At Zion Lutheran Church and School, we believe, teach, and confess God's truth for you. Find out more on our website, ZionWG.org.
1: Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary with Pastor Sean Denzer. Sean, what are the gradual and verse for this coming Sunday, the first Sunday in Lent? The gradual is so beautiful.
2: Come, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the theme verse they've chosen already for the youth gathering in 2025. It's a beautiful one. It's one that for me is definitely tied with Lent, that we would look ahead to what? His cross, absolutely. That we would recognize He is the founder, the starter, the beginner of our salvation, our faith. He's also the perfecter of it, which means, thankfully, especially to the person who is under discipline, that our endurance is not sourced from our own energy, which would be a fruitless task from the very beginning. But the source of our endurance is Christ Jesus. And we get to see that Christ considered us the joy and the purpose and the goal of his mission on earth, that he would go to the cross. Why in the world would God do that? because he loves us, because his steadfast love endures forever. He wanted to have us back. That's why he was willing to suffer and die in order to forgive us, in order to redeem us, in order to save us and bring us into his kingdom. This then, and that's exactly how the author to the Hebrews lays this out, this then is also encouraging to us when we must endure difficulties, when we must wrestle yet again against our weak and desirous of wrong things flesh, that we can endure as well, that we would look to Christ and be encouraged and inspired and strengthened for our part to also endure. And we ought to take Him as our example then, in addition to being our Savior. To that we add Ephesians 6, which is especially poignant considering the gospel we're about to hear. This is just one part of the great armor of God, put on the whole armor of God, That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil." It's significant especially that it's not our armor. Get yourself some armor. No, it's put on the armor that God has, that belongs to him, that Christ has already worn successfully, that he now clothes us in, in order that we may be able to stand. In other words, he gives us his victory, uh, and brings us along with him in his train. So a very comforting thing, and then prompts us to consider Psalm 91 also for ourselves and to watch how Jesus endures the devil and in him to make
1: our stand as well. The Gospel reading is Mark 1, 9 through 15. What do we find there? Oh, it's the third time we've heard most of this
2: because Mark is so brief. He wants to get on to the cross. We'll see. That's what we're going to do in Lent, too. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, "'You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased.'" The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. and He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So there's none of the details, right? We don't get to hear about the three temptations that Satan brings. We don't get to hear Jesus talking back to him and I admit that's one of my favorite parts about the whole event. Instead, we have in short bursts this sequence of his baptism, his temptation, and the beginning of his preaching focused on repentance and the gospel. And so I think this is the great opportunity for a pastor to preach on the sequence and its significance. Why is Jesus baptized? This is a declaration publicly that this is the beloved Son of the Father, the well-pleasing Son of the Father. This is what baptism also declares of us on account of Christ Jesus and what he's done for us. It is very striking, perhaps, that Jesus, who is the beloved Son, is then subject to affliction. If we were to read on in Hebrews 12, after our gradual, we'd find this is exactly the point that the author of the Hebrews makes, that none of us have yet resisted temptation or enemies of the gospel to the point of shedding our blood, as Jesus has. And it encourages us to see that whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. It's not as if he despises us, or we should take testings, temptations, the weakness of our flesh, the continual struggles against our old nature, even though we now have been given the new man in Christ Jesus. We should not take this as signs that we are not Christians, but just the opposite, that we are beloved sons of God. We would not face any discipline if we weren't his kids. Since we are, we bear it, and we know that he will work good from it far better than any earthly father could. And we see that Jesus, his only begotten Son, is by no means exempted from this. Thus, it's not wrong at all to take that by analogy for ourselves, that we who are baptized, who've been given the name of Christ, who belong to him, who have a spirit, by the way, ought to expect that we also will face temptation, that the devil will be after us. What well, great promise then that his holy angels are given into our service to protect us, that he does not abandon us to the devil, but in fact he withholds us and sustains us upright through all of it. Then we come to the preaching of Jesus. Jesus, so he's prepared both by his endurance through the trials as well as of course by receiving the Holy Spirit for his daily task. And I suppose to a certain degree we can find an example in that also for whatever our tasks may be. But now certainly our interest shifts to what is it that Jesus is going to proclaim. The beginning of his ministry is always something worth paying attention to. That is the hint as to what the whole entirety of his ministry will be. We have it proclaimed right here. That the kingdom of God is here, it's at hand, and that everybody ought to repent and believe the gospel. Very interesting. Luke's gospel puts it at the end, right? He opens up the scriptures. He shows them how necessary it was for him to suffer and die and rise again, Also that... Repentance for the forgiveness of sins could be preached in his name, making a kingdom of all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Here we have it the opposite. He's going to tell us that he's come to bring his kingdom, that his kingdom consists of repentance and believing in the gospel. And then our our natural question is, well, what is the good news? What is the gospel? What is the victory that we can trust in? It's marvelous that I suppose you could say the first victory is his triumph over Satan in the wilderness. He's come to say, I've done it guys, I've triumphed over the devil. And this is great news because now he is defeated for your sake also. But how finally does this happen? It happens when he goes to the cross, when he becomes a ransom for many, as Mark's gospel will say clearly, when he draws all men to himself, by being lifted up on the pole like the serpent of old. So the content of Christ's preaching is repentance and faith in his fulfillment of everything the scriptures have said about the Christ. We will see that happen when he cries out, it is fulfilled, it is finished, when he dies and when he rises again vindicated for all.
1: What would you say of the hymn of the day, which is a mighty fortress?
2: I hope everybody has realized by now that A Mighty Fortress belongs on the first Sunday in Lent. This is a hymn that definitely brings out this theme and shows us that the disciplines of Lent are not about being morose for 40 days, they're about girding our loins, and entering into spiritual warfare against the devil. And if we're going to do that, it cannot be on our own strength. And that's what's so marvelous about both Psalm 46 and this hymn that is well-loved to Lutherans above all, is that we see the encouragement that we have to see Christ as our true champion. Christ is the one who defeats the devil. Of course, it couldn't be any other way. If we were to go and enter into battle against the devil, if we were going to overcome our sin, we would find ourselves not equal to the task. But since Christ has done it in our place, this then spurs us on to take our stand in Christ against all of the devil's ways. He is by our side with his word, with his spirit, with his sacraments at all times to enable us and to help us to endure. He's forgiven our sins. He's defeated the devil. Faith in his steadfast love and in his name is what makes us secure. So then also when the devil tries to sell us these poultry temptations, as it certainly seems paltry when he's offering the Lord of the universe a kingdom or a town, as if that was a great incentive. We also ought to consider all of the things that have much greater pull on our weak flesh to be silly, ridiculous, not worth comparing to the glory that shall be revealed in us in Christ. It's a bold thing that this hymn says, goods, fame, child, wife even, let these all be gone. They yet would have nothing won. How could you possibly say that? Well, only because if we have Christ, we have everything. And that's what this hymn wants us to see. The mighty fortress we have is not ourselves. The trusty shield and the armor of God that will withstand the devil is certainly not ourselves. It's Christ Jesus. And having him then, we can take our stand with confidence. And even if we should lose everything right down to our own life, what of it? We know one who will raise us from the dead at the last day, just as Abraham trusted. So we also will believe and trust in Christ our Lord.
1: Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, thank you. You're welcome. Tuesday on Issues Etc. We'll get a review of the movie Past Lives with Pastor Ted Geese. We'll have a follow-up conversation on de-churching in America with Michael Graham, and we'll visit with Dr. Paul Robbie, author of our book of the month, The Concordia Commentary on Isaiah, chapters 13 through 27. All this that Jesus endured, especially his temptation and his ministry leading him to his sacrifice at the cross, he endured for you. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening.
3: Is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.
0: I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted
2: because I'm a part of His family through Jesus' shed blood.
3: Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org, unityesl.org.
1: Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways.